Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. Spooky season is officially in full swing, so I have a series of episodes to bring us through the season. We have creepy-looking creatures named after mythical beings, animals capable of mind control, and we even have a cryptid thrown on in there, as well as some good old Halloween spooky animals to round it all out just in time for the holiday. Go find yourself some good fall leaves, maybe carve a pumpkin, and pick up some new creepy animal facts to give your friends the heebie-jeebies this Halloween. For this week's episode, we are kicking off our spooky season series with a deep-sea fish that has an unnerving way of catching prey. It has a protrusible jaw that extends out towards its snout out to grab fish. It is goblin shark time. The goblin shark, or Mitsukurina austoni, is a deep-sea shark that is the only living member of a 125-million-year-old lineage. We think that it typically gets 3 to 4 meters at maturity, but there are some records of bigger specimens coming in at 6 meters long, or 20 feet. They can be found along continental slopes, marine canyons, and seamounts around the world, but since they inhabit deep sea areas, we rarely encounter them, and in most cases, it's due to them being caught as bycatch in deep sea fisheries. To illustrate that rarity, the first recorded goblin shark in the Gulf of Mexico wasn't encountered until 2002. It was a female and originally estimated at about 4 meters, but later estimates after examining the photos put it closer to 5 or 6 meters. Only one specimen has ever been recorded along the California coast, and until 1997, when three more individuals were documented within the scientific literature, only one specimen had been recorded in New Zealand. For some other interesting locations, there are also records off the coast of France, South Africa, Japan, Australia, and Brazil. So, as a deep-sea fish, they are usually at depths greater than 100 meters, sometimes diving down as deep as 1,300 meters. For some amount of reference, light disappears between 200 and 1,000 meters deep, so they pretty much exist within the twilight zone of the ocean. Goblin sharks have a few deep-sea adaptations, one is being much slower moving to conserve energy, and based on its anatomy, the goblin shark is considered an inactive shark. The goblin sharks are also red, which renders them near invisible. Red light cannot penetrate past 100 meters, so anything at this depth or deeper that is red is going to just appear as a black thing within all of the darkness since it absorbs all of the rest of the light that is down there, if there is any light. So one of their more interesting traits that has helped it gain its common name is its elongated flat snout that extends from its face, looking like a long nose. The name goblin shark is actually a translation from an old Japanese name, Tenzugame. The Tengu are a Japanese mythical creature, sometimes considered a deity, that are often shown with a long nose. So while it looks quite odd and contributes to its creepy appearance, it does have a purpose, as it houses all of the ampullae of Lorenzini that sharks use to sense electromagnetic fields from their prey, which for the goblin shark includes fish like rat tails and dragonfish, which is a creepy enough fish on its own, 
as well as some cephalopods and crustaceans, like isopods and crabs. While pretty darn cool, the ampullae of Lorenzini aren't what we're going to be talking about today, but in order to catch its fishy or squiddy prey, it extends its jaws out, almost reaching past the end of the snout. Because yes, we've talked about double-jawed animals, so now we get to bring on the extendo jaws. I do have a paper that I read by Nakea and colleagues that has some great illustrations and descriptions of the process of the extending jaw, but in case anyone is interested in checking that out, I'll give the information to find the article within the description of this episode. Before this paper was released or published, shark researchers knew that goblin sharks used their jaws in this way. They knew it was projectable like this, based mostly on the anatomy of the jaw as well as some observations in aquaria. But between 2008 and 2011, this group of researchers was able to record five goblin sharks feeding at sea which is the first series of videos allowing observations of the jaw kinematics that have ever been recorded. And this allowed the researchers to see and document how they use their protrusible jaw. So, as described in that paper, there are several phases of jaw motion. At rest, the jaws are held flat against the head as fairly normal, or as we consider normal for animals. Once motion starts, we enter the expansive phase. The upper jaw remains in place and in the resting position as the lower jaw drops open and swings down. At this point, both the upper and lower jaws are rotated outwards in order to expose the teeth. Then we have the compressive phase, which is composed of three stages, the shooting stage, grasping, and holding stage. The shooting stage is pretty much what it sounds like. The jaws are rapidly protruded forward towards the end of the snout, and as this happens, the tongue is also depressed in order to expand the mouth cavity, the buccal cavity, in order to provide extra clearance for larger prey. Then, during the grasping stage, the jaws are closed, hopefully successfully holding a tasty fish, And finally, we have the holding stage, where the jaws are kept closed and are slowly retracted back towards the resting position. There is a recovery phase following all of this, where as the jaws relax, they are opening and closing again as it returns returns to the resting phase. Since they are deep sea sharks, prey is much harder to come by and can be few and far between. So any species living down there needs to have adaptations in order to be able to survive living in the deep. So for the goblin shark, this means being a slow-moving ambush predator, which is where those jaws come in handy. Being able to project the jaws like that allows them to sneak up on unsuspecting prey in the dark, as their prey won't even see them coming. The ability to expand their, uh, their mouth in order to open it as wide as possible is also a fairly common deep sea adaptation. When your food is rare, you want to be able to eat just about whatever you happen upon and have the ability to eat whatever will fit in your mouth. So the larger you can open your mouth, the more chances you will have that the food you come across you will actually be able to consume. So, many shark species around the world have decreased populations, largely due to people killing them for revenge 
or as a part of several fisheries. At least as of now, the IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, lists the goblin shark as a species of, le of least concern, meaning that based on current data, the, populations, the population levels are sufficient for the continuation of the species. The IUCN, hence the name, is an international organization that focuses on the conservation of nature and natural resources. They publish a red list of species that assigns a conservation status, basically the endangered status, to all known species as long as there is enough data for them to be able to make a call. While goblin, shark, while goblin sharks are not considered to be vulnerable, they are a rarely encountered species and that least concern classification was made because of its global distribution. So there are some countries that may have different classification levels based on their estimates of the local population. And since they are caught as bycatch, this could be based also on deep sea fishing efforts in the area and the stress on local populations. With that, here is your reminder to make sure to support sustainable fisheries and there are some databases out there like Fishwatch in the United States as well as several other ones uh, where you can go to get more information about sustainable fish to help decrease pressures on a wide variety of fish populations and wildlife populations. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to tune into next week's episode. Please rate and review on iTunes and Podbean and you can also find me on Amazon Music and Audible. Keep an eye out for the upcoming Patreon page to help support this podcast, but in the meantime, share us with someone you know that could use some more creepy animal facts in their life. If you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Thank you for listening.